Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Game of Your Life, a video game podcast that celebrates all things nerdy, nostalgic, and most importantly, my favorite medium, video games. This week, we've got Jake Breeze on. Jake, how you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? Good, man. I didn't know how to introduce you as a musician, a DJ, a comedian. Like, what do you go by on <laughs> on social media? <laughs> I mean, like, I I have a few different things, because, like, the solo stuff... I'm doing under desk ridden, uh, which is, I think it's desk ridden, then an underscore. But like, I don't like, it's weird because I do a load of different stuff, but I don't claim to be good at any of it. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I love, especially with social media, because you do the same thing I do, where you go to throw your plug out and you're like, I think this is my handle, but yeah. fuck knows, actually, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely need to get a bit better with it because... Especially, you know, as things move on and we open up a bit, it's actually worth like people knowing who you are at that point. But like, yeah, and I mean, it's difficult, man. There's, yeah, um, but I hate it. I mean, you you start the music or the comedy or even this podcast. It's things we do because we have the volition to do it and passion about it. But I don't have any of those feelings towards making an Instagram account or trying to build up followers <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, the only thing that I've found so far is that I think for the stand-up, it's a bit easier because you're just promoting you and you just do weird little videos and shit if you want. But, like, for the music stuff, it's quite difficult to sort of figure out what kind of aesthetic choices you want to make. And what's been nice about doing my own stuff is it's a lot easier to do because I'm not making aesthetic choices for five people. It's just myself. Yeah, um, so, that's well, always the, that's sort of the, like, you know, the grass is always greener thing with comedy versus being in a band where it's like yeah. you there is benefits of doing it all alone but then you're also all alone yeah that's it man although i found over lockdown i don't know about you like i've not given a shit about being on my own it's been ass just been sat there teaching myself how to produce and writing little bits of jokes and stuff and I've just not really been all that fussed about interacting with the outside world. It's been pretty great. That's, but, um, that's good, man. I'm. It's funny because I've been with Lulu, my girlfriend, this whole time. Yeah. So it's it's funny because we're always going to have that as our lockdown experience, and like just we had each other throughout it. Um, but there was a one month where she went back to France when things were sort of you know getting not back to normal, but in the summer when we were trying to get back to normal. And so for that whole month, I don't know, I might have left the house like three times. I didn't see anyone. I was just (laughs) smoking weed, playing video games from like 8 a.m. to like midnight. And after about after about two, three weeks of that, I sort of cracked and was like, all right, this isn't good for my mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know you see, I I had the opposite experience where like I'd be going out a lot and then obviously obviously pre-lockdown. And then once I was forced to stay inside, I was like, oh. I don't actually like my job that much. Oh, I I, I want to do this and I want to do that. And it's just kind of, it's been nice to just sit there and reflect and like weird stuff. Like be like, oh, what do I actually think happens after we die? You know what yeah. I mean? And like weird stuff like that, which has been really freeing. But at the same time, it's like, oh God, like imagine if this wouldn't have happened. You just would have carried on doing the same shit. You know what I mean? It's but um, it's, it's Plus people, you know. I, I always felt I felt low key guilty when I was enjoying the lockdown at first because yeah. I I really needed work off. I was about to take a month off anyway just to recharge, and mm. then lockdown happened. And then so, but then you'd see people losing family members or fucking losing their minds, and you'd feel bad being like, I actually had a good time. It has been weird seeing a lot of people that I consider intelligent like properly fucking peeling the banana and just losing the mind. Like it's been pretty west, but I mean. It's weird because on the one hand, I've I've now got the free time to do whatever I want. But the, the other hand, like my life now kind of looks like a Muddy Waters song. You know what <laughs> I mean? Where it's just kind of like working every day. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's just kind of, it's weird because, you know, I'm doing bike career shit and working at bars and that. But one thing that is nice is that now I can openly talk about taking acid on New Year's Day and not worry about my employer sacking me because it's like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. You're way better off just finding a place. That's lax enough that you can be lax that you don't just hate going to, which is what my other job is. It's like, I'm given a lot of freedom. I do a good job. Uh, nothing changes. Uh, but before we, I feel like we're just going to keep diving into rabbit holes here. Uh, I, I want to, <laughs> I want to get a quick, uh, grasp of your video game history. Like, when did you start playing and how old are you just for the listeners? I'm 27 now. Um, my mid twenties were stolen from me by COVID, but, um, <laughs> 
Yeah, like it's I'm so I'm 27. I've been gaming I think since I was about like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, really young. Because yeah, and like it was funny because like one of the first games I ever remember playing was I think it was Final Fantasy Nine. I think it is. Um, what or is it seven? You know the one with the with Vivi in it and Zidane. That's nine. Um, nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the first games I remember having a really visceral emotional response to. Because, yeah, that game would do it, man. There's some moments in it. Yeah, and like I was sat there, and there was like a beautiful bit where I don't know if they still do it, but I swear Final Fantasy used to like release these panels with like a little quotation to sum up the personality of a character. And at the time, it really hit me where Zidane's was just, you don't need a reason to help people. <laughs> and like there was another ones that was kind of, and there was Vivi's, which was like, do I, I'm unsure if I exist, do any of us exist and things like that. And like, <laughs> I remember playing that as a really young kid and just being like, damn. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if it's because we were younger or just because the writing in the games of those era were better, but like, I really found it easy to connect to characters in those JRPGs. Like, like Chrono Trigger was my sort of seven, yeah. eight-year-old uh, version of that, where I was like, there's a character, Robo, that you find like in an abandoned factory and you fix him up and he's got like this really nice personality and yeah. I, I remember being like, oh, this character is fucking rules. Like, you yeah. become really attached. It's all, Yeah, it's all about what you play. Because, like, I've always been an advocate to people that I talk to um, that role-playing games, RPGs, especially like JRPGs where they're, like, super intense and, like, there's a lot of dialogue. If you expose a young kid to that, you encourage empathetic responses to other human beings. Like, yeah, I totally agree. Because... You're practicing empathy in your interaction with the game. And it's why there's, you know, there's research come out that it's why so few people actually choose the evil run on games a lot if there is like a good and an evil run. Mm-hmm. Because you're playing out this kind of empathetic response to these characters that you've created. And it's, it's like the equivalent of, you know, writing your own literature as it goes along. Like I find that amazing. And don't get me wrong, you know I've played the uh, I've played the sh- I've played shooters and stuff like that, but I've um, one thing I can never get into with video games in general. And it's always been the case for me. I don't get multiplayer, competitive multiplayer. I get co-op, but I don't get competitive multiplayer. I don't understand. Yeah, it- me neither. I mean, even though I have a video game podcast, my knowledge is so limited that I don't even really go there. What was I going to say? Yeah, it's funny because. My my dad always, they never let me play Grand Theft Auto growing up. Same. And I remember being, like, in my 20s, obviously, like, when I was a grown-up, asking my dad, like, what, did you think I was going to, like, shoot up a school or whatever? Like, because that was always the narrative of those games, that they yeah. beget violence. And my dad was like, no, I just think it's sort of fucked up, <laughs> like, yeah. to have my teenage son playing this game where you're, like, killing hookers and shit. He's like, I didn't think he would go out and do shit, but he's like, I didn't think that was good for a young person's head either and i sort of like i thought that was like an interesting take on it yeah i mean that's interesting because i often think if i ever have a kid which i don't think i will about how we're going to broach this because i mean i suppose it's it's much easier to control that aspect um of your kid's life but at the same time you know you can access any internet porn you want whenever which is (laughs) arguably more damaging to it to the young psyche but like I know what you mean, because again, with like GTA, like especially like because I've been playing a little bit of five during lockdown as an adult. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like a lot of it is quite gratuitous. I think they could take out about half of the violence and still have an engaging story. You know what I mean? Yeah, if they wanted to. But I mean, it's sort of like a Tarantino film at this point. Like you would be yeah. fans. The true fans would be upset if, it, if that wasn't there. But uh, so you're saying PlayStation one was that sort of your first console? Yeah, I mean, I had an N64, but I don't really... And I also had a Sega Mega Drive like, as a kid. Like, yeah, young, all young you kid. British guys have the Sega Mega Drive. It's crazy. Yeah. And But I don't really have any emotional attachment to them that I can remember. That's interesting, because the N64, I remember, I think it spoke to my child mind a lot more than the PS1. I mean, I always found it... I remember like always finding the controller annoying, like, even as a kid. And like obviously, you know, there was Legend of Zelda, but I played Zelda first on the on the SNES. So like Yeah, me too. So that was kind of my experience of it, and it was a bit more cartoonish, whereas like, you know, Ocarina of Time was a lot more heavy. And like Yeah, I loved Ocarina of Time, but I just I don't know, even as a kid, I sort of wasn't a massive fan of the N sixty four. 
Yeah, I mean, Link to the Past feels closer to, like, Yoshi's Island in aesthetic than it does, like, yeah. Ocarina of Time, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, um, but that's interesting, man. You know, we've, we've talked a bit here. Maybe it's time to get down to it, because <laughs> the game we came here to talk about. So, yeah. let's do it. Jake Breeze, this is the game of your life. Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, an action RPG developed by Bethesda Game Studios and published by Bethesda Softworks. It was released in March 2006 and received huge critical praise, specifically for the graphics, open world, and the NPCs. It quickly went down as one of the greatest games of all time, having sold an estimated 9.5 million copies worldwide. Jake, why Oblivion of all games? Because it's the first game that I played where I would properly describe the feeling that I had is like awe. I like I felt awe when I played Oblivion. I was like, this is huge. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And at the time, obviously you look back at the graphics now and they're fucking hilarious. But like <laughs> at the time, I remember sitting there and being like, Oh my god, this is insane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, did you get your hands on it right when it came out? Or when did you play no, it for like, the first time? So a friend of mine did, and I remember playing it at their house, and they convinced me to buy an xbox 360 that was because of that game like yeah i hadn't realized sorry to interrupt i didn't realize that it came out like on xbox in march 2006 and then on ps3 it was like a full year later in march 2007 yeah yeah and it was like and i just remember seeing it and being like oh shit and i think what it was is the fact that the narrative it was the fact that it was the first game i'd played properly where you didn't have to follow the main narrative if you didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Same and, for me, for sure. Yeah, and I found that really interesting. And as well, like, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I Because I just, I don't know, I, I don't like, I'm not a big fan of, like, magic and, and shit. It doesn't really interest me. Oh, really? I've always liked medieval-type shit way more than, like, sci-fi or mm. futuristic for whatever reason. I uh, See, I'm always more sci-fi, but, like, I think what it was is that because the magic and like this fantasy setting was done so tastefully that like mm-hmm. it did feel like a world that was in some serious crisis. Like, you know, there's these demons coming out of, and I was like, all right, you know, if there's demons and shit, fair enough. And <laughs> it was the way that they handled everything. Like it, it, it felt like each character because they had like routines of movement and where they were going to be at certain times and et cetera. And, you know, you could find little mad Easter eggs about their lives if you just followed them round. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just kind of thought, oh, this is like a proper living, breathing world. And even now, there'll be times where you can just be on a road walking down and you'll just see a little house and be like, oh, I've never seen that before. Because mm-hmm. I did the same thing with Fallout 3 where like, often in Oblivion, I'd just pick a direction and walk and just see what I found. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'd never had a game that made me want to do that before. Yeah, same. I I sort of, like, got presented it to me that way. I had a friend who was just all about The Elder Scrolls already. He was a big Morrowind fan. So he was giving us the hard sell on this even before it came out. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying, like, dude, it's not even about this main story. You just pick a direction and walk. And I, I sort of couldn't wrap my head around it at the time. And I think this is, like, I'd heard of Open World, but this is definitely the first game where I'd seen it. Um, and, yeah, it was it was a tough thing to wrap my head around at first. Oh, yeah, for sure. And as well, the fact that the way that it was constructed, because it was one of the first proper... Because a lot of the RPGs that I played were, like, turn-based combat. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that, like, you just got thrown in. You're just like, oh, wow, this is so intense. I mean, they're coming at you, and you're like, oh. And... I think what was great about it is the fact that, as well, even with the main story, it was the way that you you didn't feel like, well, at first you didn't, but you didn't feel as though you were the chosen one. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because really what you're doing is shepherding the chosen one to their final destination. You're just kind of, you're you're the transporter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, why... it, it reminds me of like Fallout New Vegas's would have the courier. Yeah. It's sort of like you are a character, but you're also a role. Yeah, that's it. And like, that's what I preferred about Oblivion to Skyrim is that like, 
I don't like in games when you're like the chosen one, the one of prophecy. You know what I mean? Because just because you picked up a controller and made a character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I find it like sort of detaches you from the world because I don't know whether this is just me being a bit like facetious, but like the way that everyone interacts with you, like oh my god, I I, I don't dig that. I agree. Um, I will say I feel like this game. Although in storyline narrative, I completely agree. Uh, in, in a lot of how it plays out, I don't know if I do because, like, the whole world is under this thing, and the overarching story. We, we always start with story and characters anyway here. Yeah. Um, but the overarching story is basically these gates of oblivion have been opening all over the place. Demons are coming out, and you're not totally sure why. But like, it's a world in peril, essentially. Mm. But at the same time, your character seems to be the only one doing fucking anything about it. Yeah, that was that'd be one of my criticisms. Is that it seems like everyone your character's main goal is to just give everyone a fucking kick up the ass. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't think anyone else closes an oblivion gate in this game, and yeah. there's like well over a dozen, and everyone just does a lot of dying. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like you show up. There's this great part early on, and I just stumbled upon because for context, I'd played this game. A few years after it came out, yeah. I didn't like it. It was such a fresh concept to me. I didn't really play it properly. I don't think. Yeah. So I know I did Dark Brotherhood and I did a few things that everyone does. Yeah. But uh, recently, for the purposes of this podcast, I picked it up again, and yeah, I remember just stumbling upon the city of Clavach. I, I want to yeah, say it's yeah, pronounced. Yeah. And it's just getting fucked up by a full-on raid. There's, like, an Oblivion Gate at the doors, and demons are, like, have killed most of the inhabitants. And, yeah, right away, when you just stumble onto something like that, you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the beauty of it, is that they do... It's Because I often find with games, it's quite difficult to make a world feel like it's in trouble. And with the story especially, they smashed it, because, like, there's this whole thing of, like, okay... Because, you know, there's so many diverging branches where it's like, all right, so the Oblivion Gates are one thing. We need to deal with this problem. But then we're figuring out why they're coming. And then we also need to figure out how we stop it. And then we need to figure out who we need to speak to. And there's these weird, like, secret cults that are helping with this thing. And then... Yeah, let's let's get into the narrative. Because you're, sort of, you're, you're going through it and it's making me want to talk about it. So, basically, this game starts and you're, you create your character or whatever. We'll go into, the, uh, into that later. But you're in a prison cell. And it's not really explained to you how you got there or why you're there. Yeah. And essentially, the Emperor comes to the door with two bodyguards. And they're just like, hey, why was someone in this cell? This cell's meant to be empty at all times. And you find out that the castle is getting raided. Assassins have infiltrated it just to kill the Emperor. And there's a secret path based in the prison cell that you're in that they're using to escape. Yeah. So hilariously, you sort of win the lottery and are just like, welcome along the secret path. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, I guess, I don't know what this guy did, but he's coming with us. And it's sort of like this, your opening tutorial dungeon, I guess this whole area is. Yeah. It's weird. I I remembered this as like five minutes when I went to play it recently. Yeah. It's not really. It's like a good hour, like hour and a half. Oh, yeah. It's long, man. Mm hmm. And it's good because it, yeah, it gets you. It teaches you how to sneak. It teaches you how to uh, do archery. You you learn all the core skills of the game while you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, these blade guards, who it's a recurring theme in this game, they're fucking idiots. Bungle the whole case, and the assassins like murdered in front of you all. Mm. Or, no, sorry, not the assassin. The emperor is killed by assassins like right in front of you, uh, but not before he gives you the king's amulet. And this yeah. king's amulet would sort of be like the central item of the whole game. Yeah. yeah. And that leads to maybe my favorite moment in the game when you actually step out into the open world for the first time. Man, I I think it's my favorite, like, reveal of an open world. I know Fallout, sort of, the vault, leaving a vault sort of lends itself to that type of imagery. But just given how beautiful this open world is and the story you've just been through, it's a great moment in video games. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that then what's great is the fact that there isn't really a push once you leave, there isn't really a push for you to go do the thing. There's just a quest. It's like, hey, go and deliver this thing. But you don't have to. You know, you can just wander about, which is what most people end up doing. Yeah, there's a there's like a set of ruins right across the first lake you see. And it's almost like perfectly just put there because you can't miss it. Yeah. Yeah, I dig that. And like, and then as you go on, you know, you find you've got to like sort of be in touch with all these different little groups. And you start figuring out the sort of political situation and... 
Um, there's this, is it, I think it's the, called the Mythic Dawn are the people who are trying to bring about, uh, well, who were like sent to kill the Emperor. Yeah, so, yeah, moving, I'll just go through the main story, I guess, just the yeah. main points. But you basically have to find this guy named Martin and deliver the amulet to him. He's the heir of the Emperor. So, yeah. it is funny because you would assume that you were the chosen one or the one who's meant to do whatever. Yeah. But it's like, no, this guy's the heir, like, give him the amulet. Yeah. Uh, which is what you do. You find him at Clavatch and you give Martin and the amulet to the blades to protect. Then fast forward. And that's what you were saying earlier, like about the storyline quest. I love that there's an actual logic to it. Like, so you're yeah. trying to follow up leads. You're like, well, hey, who are those cultists that like killed the emperor to begin with? Maybe we should look into them. And that leads yeah. you to the cult of the mythic dawn. That you can actually infiltrate and like pretend to be a member, which is like a pretty great part mm. of the main story, I thought. And you find the leader. Do you remember the leader's name? I forgot to write it down. I think it's Mankar Cameron. Yeah, yeah, I think it is too. And we'll just go with that. Don't correct us. <laughs> um, and yeah, you find he's like got the got the king's amulet. It like you weren't there when it was stolen, but he just yeah. managed to get it off the blades again with their incompetence. And not only that, but he's living in sort of like another realm or dimension, I guess. Is yeah, that how they phrase it? Because it, 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 it is paradise, doesn't it, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you find out, like, to even get to him, you got to do, like, three other, four other side quests. Not side quests, they're part of the main quest. But it feels like sort of fetch quest stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it all just leads to this big showdown at Burma. Um, yeah. Is it Bur- Burma? A Bruma. Bruma. Sorry, yeah, Burma's a country. Burma. but basically like all the main cities in this game had oblivion gates at the doors you have to go in and close all of them and and while you're doing that you're sort of uh, recruiting people to this final showdown yeah Um, i i will say uh, closing oblivion gates gets to be pretty fucking tedious after oh it's so annoying because like You look around and like you see like guards and like one thing that's great about the dailies are like you see these guards stood about and they're always just like oh my god that oblivion gate is there and then they just sort of stand there yeah and, like, as as though to look at you and be like well go on then <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's sort of like when citizens saw like something attacking the city and they're just like where is Superman like we are powerless <laughs> to do anything here and it's like you're the fucking army. <laughs> Like, I thought you were here to protect a city. Like, I'm one person and I can close this fucking gate. Yeah, and that's it. So you close all these gates and then you... Because then you finally sort of have this showdown with this Mythic Dawn guy. But again, what I like about the game is that after you've had this showdown, there's another final battle you need to have with, like, giant Oblivion gates all around the capital city. And then you don't even strike the killing blow like Martin transforms into i think it's talos like a big dragon he essentially sacrifices himself yeah uh and yeah he summons this like dragon god and i do want to say here for uh what this was the the showdown is like pretty underwhelming oh it's so underwhelming because the game's just like pushed pushed the system to its absolute limit so you've got like 11 characters on screen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's meant to be this like the like showdown to save the world but yeah. at the same time i don't want to knock them too hard for it because i thought all of this shit was just so ambitious and far-reaching yeah, yeah. and they really fucking went for it i'm i i will so much easier shit on a company for playing it safe like nintendo's been doing for years than i will for a company to like totally swing for the fences and maybe not quite hit it but like at least you took the shot oh yeah for sure man and that's what i dig about bethesda is that like all right, they release often sort of not living up to the hype games. And like, you know, they're often sort of like quite buggy, but also like the scope of what they create, especially with Oblivion, the scope of what they were creating in the mid 2000s. I mean, you you could play Oblivion. If Oblivion came out now with slightly better graphics, you'd still be buzzing. Yeah, I mean, you said you prefer it to Skyrim. I prefer this game to Skyrim. Yeah. Uh, just And I mean, that's not to say it's not flawed. I think both of these games are very flawed, and it'd be tough to talk about Oblivion without being honest about that. But what yeah. it does manage to accomplish, like you said, by 2006 is also fucking incredible. Yeah, and, and I mean, are we going to just handle the main story here, or do you want me to go into like the other little bits? Because the other little bits are what make it. Yeah, yeah, no, go go right ahead. I'm sort of just 
doing the broad strokes. <laughs> no worries, because I mean, it's weird because a lot of people talk about the Dark Brotherhood and the Thieves Guild being their favorite thing. Like oh, the Dark we were talking theme. about the guilds. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think there's very many in memorable individual characters in this game. It, yeah. It's funny that the characters are sort of characterized by the guild that they're in. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, I'd say between the Fighters Guild, Mage Guild, Thieves Guild, and the Dark Brotherhood, that that's probably altogether more content in those than the main story itself. Yeah, and that's what it's really about. And I mean, as well, because for me as well, the arena I find a really interesting storyline. Oh, the fact that oh, I forgot about the arena. Yeah, they've got this like big gladiatorial combat thing, and you know you get to just be part of it. And I kind of dig the way that. There's a lot of really subtle things about the arena that I like. For example, the fact that, you know, you've got the whole backstory surrounding the main guy who you, who gives you the matches apparently has like an illegitimate daughter. So like if you, um, sneak about and find and look on the floor near his feet, there's a crumpled up note from a woman who's training in unarmed in the Imperial City and you can go and talk to her. And apparently she's like his illegitimate daughter. And it's just little details like that where you're like, oh, that makes... Can you use that information against him at any point? No, but this is it. I think this is my main criticism of Oblivion is that you can find out all these mad intricacies about the characters, but they don't have a lot, often don't have a lot of effect on the gameplay, Mm -hmm. which I find annoying. I found it cool that like all the NPCs are pretty much voice acted, I think like across the board. Yeah. Um, and lots of them have like vital or vital characters with a lot of good information, but so many of them are just like, it's just literally one thing you can say to them. Or yeah. It's like room, can't get the rumors or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, you'd, you'd almost want a bit more depth or a bit more like a few paths you could choose or whatever. Like it'd be awesome if, if the guy who runs the arena, you blackmail him with info about his daughter and then he like helps you cheat to win one of the arena things or whatever. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But I mean, you kind of get that when you get to the end of that quest line and you've got to fight the grand champion and you can do a quest for him where he finds out that his dad's a vampire and and he's just like, oh, just kill me. And then like you sort of throws the match for you. You come back down and like, you know, the main guy is buzzing. But then another person who like was your mate throughout all of it and is being like, oh, we're both, you know, we're both gladiators now. This is great. And he sort of hates you because you've killed his idol. <laughs> and then you get the adoring fan and like just, just stuff like that. Like, I like the way that a lot of the ways that the, the guilds and the little side quests were structured is that there seems to be a clear structure of introduction. Here's everything you need to know about how we do things. And then you start finding out why they do things. You know what I mean? And that's why I find interesting is that a lot of the guilds, you kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, if, if you know, if there was a way, say if magic, etc. was real and murder had less real world consequences, <laughs> like, you know, you can, it's they're sort of logical. It's like, yeah, I can imagine that there's a sort of shadowy organization where you do a little ritual and you tell someone you want someone killed then they go do it what i like about this is it sort of gives you a path so like let's say you have a magic inclined character well it would make sense to go to the mages guild and it's not so easy to join either i i totally forgot like to join the mages guild you have to do basically a separate side quest for every single mage leader of each chapter in each city and like they're not throw away like oh go get me seven diamonds or whatever they're like each one of these is its own fleshed out side quest. Yeah, like, the deep. Yeah, it's crazy. And same with the fighters. I actually fucked up with the fighters guild where, and it's a fucking annoying part about this game. And everyone, when I say it, will know and has done this where you accidentally steal something. Yeah. You, you didn't mean to just by pressing X at the wrong thing. So I accidentally stole it from the fighters guild without even realizing it. I wasn't confronted or anything until the next time I walked in and they were like, I should kill you where you stand because you stole that, like, bowl or whatever. Like, (laughs) (laughs) something totally unconsequential. And then they basically punish you in-game by, like, okay, if you give us 20 bear pelts, you can be back in the guild. Which I never did, but that's literally just, like, boring fetch quest bullshit where they're like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And this is it, man, is that at the same time, though, I kind of like that there are, like, consequences to your actions and stuff within the thing. 
Totally agreed. If it wasn't for this totally easy to make mistake, I love the concept of yeah, yeah. Yeah, there should be. They they shouldn't trust me immediately. They're yeah. an established guild, and they don't know who I am. Especially when it comes to the sort of darker side of the guilds, like the thieves' guild quests are fucking unbelievable. I and love them too because it's not so much of this game revolves around dungeon crawling. Yeah, and the thieves' guilds are not that. It's usually like you have to find a house in a city and sneak in and grab something. They're really rewarding, fun quests. Yeah, and and the things of the thieves' guild as well is that okay, they've got this kind of they're still like you know this kind of spiritual religious thing. You know, they have their own gods and things like that that look over them and watch over them. Because like the the pantheon in in um. Elder Scrolls games I find cool. It's like basically a god for everything or a Daedric god for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I love in games like this where, because I mean, technically in Greek mythology, there's a god for everything, but you can surmise that it's all bullshit. Yeah. But in these worlds, like it is the, like all this stuff exists. So like, like you see a god at the end of the game. Yeah. So. And like you can talk to gods and things like that. And they give you little things to do just for their own amusement. Like That's what I like about it is the fact that for the most part, the sort of meta story of it is that the gods are basically just pushing people to do things for their own amusement. I love yeah, they, I, I love the depiction of gods. I forget what I saw them with. They're just all sitting on their clouds, drinking wine and like fucking with mortals mm. just out of boredom more than anything. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, once you become an all powerful being, that's all you've got left to do, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get into, I mean, it, it's almost cliche to gush about it. But probably the most talked about thing in this game is the Dark Brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, I just love the idea. Even to join this, you have to kill an innocent. And you might not even mean to the first time you play this game. You might just happen to kill someone. And then you are confronted in your sleep by a a recruiter. Uh, Man, just a creepy vibe to them. Uh, When you actually find the door to their hideout, it's super creepy. Yeah. And it's got some of the best characters in the game. Some of the best side quests in the game. It really is like a strength of this game. Yeah, and it's super dark as well. It's I know I've said the Dark Brotherhood, but the way that... Because I, I often feel is that the game makes you feel as though you're the most sort of normal person in there. Mm-hmm. And, like, you sort of walk in, and, you know, you've got, like, a vampire who's a leader, and he's, you know, chilling, and everyone's, like, giggling about people they've murdered and stuff. And what's great is that, like, the sort of... <laughs> the transient dialogue, where you're just sort of stood about, and you can hear the characters talking to each other, and they're laughing about the fact that like one of them it's a really dark thing they're on about like he sort of poisoned a little girl at a birthday party and shit and you're like oh shit like you know even even the mafia don't kill kids do you know what i mean yeah he's talking about killing like a five-year-old and then he's yeah. like sure i bet you can bet she won't see age six and that's his like punchline yeah like, yeah Jesus and it was Christ. just like oh what you like do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny because bethesda's always been good at the dark comedy they sort of like yeah, lean into that in a lot of their games and it's like this with it's like when that's already one of your strengths and then you provide this dark brotherhood that they can just write forever for it it, it like helps it tremendously well and also the the fact that the quest I think it sums up quite well the kind of what we see established structure and then someone new walks in and they decide that there's a lot of people in there who aren't worthy and they need cleansing and mm-hmm. then you have to kill all your mates. And then they start again. It's like, but don't worry. Like, you're the lead now and everything's going to be fine. And I'm kind of like, I bet you that process just repeats itself over and over and over again. Yeah. And then because they've probably de- destroyed all their history or whatever. Because you're right. I, I think they've even implied like cleansings happen over and over. Other than uh, what's the what's the ghost's name? The like leader? The No, the mother. Oh, the Night Mother. The Night Mother. Yeah, she speaks to you like as a statue. Yeah. And you could tell she's been there for eternity or whatever, but she's probably seen what happened ends up happening in this timeline. Like you said, it happened dozens of times. And yeah, let's get into that a bit. So for the first, I'd say, half of the quest lines, you're basically just going through and killing innocents for the for the Dark Brotherhood. You You're not really told why you're doing it. You're just sort of given a target. Uh, the highlight of this is probably the house party side quest. Yeah, so yeah. good. Where you basically, <laughs> like, you, you're in a house party, I think of like six or eight targets. Yeah. And you have to kill them one by one without the others seeing or discovering what's going on until it's too late. Yeah, yeah. And again, and what makes Oblivion so good is there's like 
so many different ways to pull this off. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I found that, like, I found actually by accident is that if you take all the food and just put down the poison apples they give you, eventually people will start eating them. <laughs> and you've just, But you've just got to wait around until that happens. That's so and, funny. Yeah, I love stuff like that. And, you know, or you can have the kind of, you know, you can make things look like an accident and they all have like, their own little unique character flaws that you can use against them. And I mean, you know, when you talk to them, you can start learning out about their story and why someone might want to have them murdered and things like that. It's just fucking amazing. Yeah. The, the, the freedom that you're given in that. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah. And as the story progresses, you eventually, I forget how it's introduced to you, um, the idea that you need to cleanse the Dark Brotherhood itself. Um, I'm not sure either. I think, I can't remember what it is. I think one of them is doing something dodgy on the side or something like that. Yeah. And they're and it, all culpable. I know it turns out, like, eventually you were picking up these dead drops from Lucian, who is yeah. just giving you orders, and uh, a member of the Hand, which is sort of like the higher power above the Dark Brotherhood, was replacing those with targets and having you wipe out all the other members of the Hand one by one. So, so for a while, it was totally unbeknownst to you. And Lucian catches up to you and is like, whoa, what the fuck have you been doing? Yeah, what have you been doing, mate? <laughs> yeah. And you explain it to him and you go, it's it's awesome how well they do this. Because he takes off and you're like, well, I guess I should go to the Dark Brotherhood and sort this out. And by the time you get there, Lucian's already made it before you. And the Dark Brotherhood has surmised that he is the traitor who's been killing all, all the people. Yeah. So he's hanging upside down, just fucking brutally murdered. Yeah, it's brutal as well, man. Mm-hmm. And really yeah, it's cool. one of the highlights of the game, man. And I remember when you're finally done with all this, you also get this big reward at the end, like a big item, and it totally made it feel like worthwhile doing all this. Like, you could have not had the main story in this game, and just off the strength of this quest line alone, people would have been content with it, and all the other side quests throughout this game. And, yeah, and that's it, because it does make you genuinely pause when you get told, like, oh, you've got to go and cleanse this thing. I remember I agonized over it for ages where I was like, is there any way out of this? I don't want to do this. And then you go in and even though a lot of them are really reprehensible people, you formed a weird relationship with these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you're just kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake. And I think that's unique in all of the quests in Oblivion is that you form this relationship with them and then you kind of you are forced to just be ripped away from it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you have so much fun doing just the regular Dark Brotherhood quest that it does feel like, oh, this is the end of this portion of the game. So it's like, the game is going to continue, but this fun thing I've been doing is over now. And to represent that, we're literally going to kill all the characters yeah, involved. Yeah. And again, um, yeah, sorry, go on, mate. Sorry, sorry go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, it's, I think that's really brave from a writing point of view as well. Of just totally agree. You know, we're going to get rid of all these really deep, intricate, interesting characters, and then you need to map what you think the Dark Brotherhood should look like when you're the leader of it onto what you can do. You know, the limited choices that you have at the end of the quest line. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I love it. Uh, before we move on to gameplay, was there any other standout, memorable side quests for you in the game? Because they're you walk into town and find at least like three or four in most towns. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, the Jabberwocky quest is interesting, where, like, you have a staff that is given to you by, I think he's called Shegarath, where he's, like, sort of, like, the god of madness. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, like, basically just says, just just go and fuck with people. And you just <laughs> go around just, like, fucking people's days up. Like, some um, lady has, like, this big banquet for a load of nobility. And you just pop up at the window and just blast her with a Jabberwocky and just, like, turn her into a chicken. And like everyone gets naked, and you just like, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" And I'm just kind of like, I love that the fact that there's a god out there who just wants madness because he's so unhinged, is Shegarath as well. And at the end of it, you just get to keep the Jabberwocky, and it's weird because it can be the best weapon or the worst weapon if you want it to be, because it just turns someone into a random character model. So you might shoot it at them, and they turn into like a fucking level a million end of game kind of enemy or they, or they might just be a goat and you've just got to pray but it saved my skin so many times but also fucked me up a lot of times and i think that's why i love it as a kind of quest is that it's just 
it's enough silliness that you're kind of like, nah, that's amazing. But also, it's not too silly that you're kind of just like, oh, this is kind of kind of lame. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and then you also get the reward of having the staff when you beat it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, the only one that I really jumps to mind right now is, uh, I forget what town it was in, but it was the first one I went to. And there's just this guy who's super paranoid. Yeah. And he's like freaking out and says, the townsfolk are talking about me. I yeah, don't know what's yeah. going on. And so he tells you who he thinks is working against him. And I think you go talk to three separate people and they're just like, I don't even think about that guy. I don't give a shit about that guy. I don't know yeah. what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and then eventually you go back. And I thought I was like helping him by t- trying to like quell his paranoia and tell him that no one's like after him. And what ends up happening is he turns on me yeah. and, like, tries to attack me because he thinks I'm in on it. Like, I'm the grand conspirator. And I had to just kill him where he stood, you know? You can't let him do that. And yeah. I was like... But it, it interested me to the point where I, w- I almost wish I'd replayed just that quest just to see what happened if I told him. Because the whole time I had the option of being like, no, you're completely right. These pieces of shit are working against you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine I would have sent him on, like, a spiral, like a killing spree or whatever. Yeah, I think he murders him, if you say that. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's funny because it just speaks to, like, that quest is, like, like you said almost, it's almost realistic. Like, yeah, this is an actual crazy person who's mentally unhinged, and mm. you can sort of play a role in that. I, I just thought it was, like, really stood out to me. I think there's ro- loads of really cool ones like that. Like, one that I've just thought of is Thorinir's discount goods in the Imperial City, and all the shopkeepers get together, and they're like, how does he sell stuff that cheap? <laughs> and you've got to figure it out. And then you find out that if you wait in his shop until midnight, someone's coming in just selling him drugs and stolen goods. And there's like a little Easter egg that if you do go in there at midnight and stay there, he'll sell your skumer and drugs and sort of like, and also buy stolen goods from you as well. And like, yeah. I just like the idea of just this guy with a little dodgy side business. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole town that's hooked on skumer. Yeah, yeah. At one point, too, and I feel like you either have to uncover it or take control of the means of production. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always love that. Like, in that's sort of the hallmark of these kinds of games. Like you can do the evil thing, too, if you want. Yeah, um, yeah. But let's move on to the gameplay, because this is a, a huge portion of it, obviously. There's just so much to get into here. Right off the bat, I love the character creation. Uh, I forget how many races you have to choose from, but it's such a variety and each of them with their own sort of overview and, like, little information card. And all of them are, like, they have different strengths and weaknesses, you know? So you can really, you're sort of deciding what kind of run-through you want to have off the bat. For this one, I went with a Dark Elf, because it's a little bit of everything. Uh, just sneaking, destruction, you know, straight-up combat. Um, but, man, I, I actually, at the same time, I couldn't imagine picking, like, a Nordic or just, like, a human, you know? when when you can be a Khajiit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you can be like a beast person. Mm-hmm. But, but I think what's nice, though, at the same time, is that if you do choose one of the beast people because they're cool, you then find out that everyone's fucking super racist. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Man, They, you, I don't know if they ever have any actual slurs, but the way they talk about lizard people is just, like, so fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then you, on top of that, you pick your birth sign uh, and then your class. So you really, like, hone in on what kind of character it's all about your attributes and what kind of bonuses you're going to get mm-hmm. um, i like that and especially you can create your own class even if you want to just yeah it's great yeah it's um, cool, man. We, we talked about the open world already it's weird leveling up in this game I, i'm like conflicted on it because i love the basically how it works is as you're doing things throughout the game if you're shooting arrows, eventually your archery will go up. If you're using magic, your magic will go up. Uh, and bit by bit, incrementally. And eventually, once you get enough of these, like, your athletics has increased. Your sneak has increased. It'll say, like, you are ready to level up, basically. Take some rest and you'll get your official level. And I love all that. I think that's all fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but then what I don't love is when you actually level up, it feels just so, like, inconsequential. How do you mean? Like... Like, like leveling up should be, like, this big moment where maybe you even get a new skill or... I know Fallout used perks or whatever, and I, you can't just pick things you like from later games and say they should have done that, but... It just feels like you just pick two stats to get a slightly higher boost to, and that's it. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I mean, I think one of the more annoying things about it is that... 
It, yeah, because, like, for example, if you get level 100 in athletics, you can basically run across the surface of water and mm-hmm. shit like that. But I think that the issue is, is that they kind of railroad you into having to specialize a little bit. Because, um, I mean, you can be an all-rounder, but then once you're an all-rounder, like you say, like, even if you focus on, say, like, five skills rather than, like, two, then, as you say, yeah, it feels kind of like, all oh, right, so I just get a few points on this. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what I found is that, yeah, when you play it through maybe, like, the first few times, it definitely feels like that. But I think what's, the like, the antidote to that is making super specialized characters. Like, because as well, then... Yeah, that, make, that makes sense, because I, I would say... My chief criticism of this game is the level scaling that they do. Mm. So basically the whole world levels up with you. And like you said, if you're working on like six or seven skills, you're going to hit a level up a lot quicker than you would if you were just working on like blades, for instance. Yeah. Uh, um. So if you're leveling up in a spread out way a bunch of times, the enemies are just getting one big power up each time you level up. You're almost like creating a harder world for yourself by leveling up in some situations. Yeah. Um, and I just don't like levels, like, I, I can see some benefit for level scaling, like, whatever, whenever you show up, you're at the appropriate level for the quest, I can see the benefit, but then it's also, like, when I went to my first Oblivion Gate at level one, it, like, didn't make sense to me that I could close it, like, it almost took me out of it, the fact that I, as this level one individual who just stumbled upon this Oblivion Gate, was able to just kill everything, no problem, really, and, like, go close it. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I mean, because this is where I sort of... This is one of my main criticisms of Oblivion. And it's quite hard to do with an open world. But I'm much more of a fan of having leveled areas. where Because with Oblivion, you know, the challenge ramps up and is reactive to what level you are. Like, if you start the main quest when you're, like, level 70, you're just fighting mega demons all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, a lot of the times, like, enemies that you've seen will disappear altogether yeah. in, in place of, like, a higher version of that. Which, again, also for world building doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, yeah. there there are just no more wolves anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's it. Like, because one, one of the main flaws about it is that, yeah, you constantly feel a little bit overpowered. Because, mm-hmm. especially if you use magic, because once you can start making your own spells, like, it's game over for everyone. Because you're just... Because <laughs> I remember making a character once where all I did was destruction magic and restoration magic. And I was... I And I, I challenged myself that the only things that I own are a robe. And I'd just walk <laughs> around just in a robe, just casting sort of like iron flesh kind of spells on myself. And then just blasting people away with giant fireballs that also do like lightning damage. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, you feel like a god, but that's why I always tend towards sort of sneakier kind of characters. Like one of my favorite runs I ever did was I was a Khajiit who specialized in unarmed. And it was just this quite depressing tale of this street brawler trying to make his way. You know what I mean? And like it was, it was cool, man. Like it was. Yeah, I love what you just described, like, actually role-playing as my character. That's, like, my favorite part about these games. Yeah, and, like, the fact that, you know, in the main story, I often imagined, like, seeing this guy running up to demons and just trying to beat them with his bare hands. And everyone's been like, what the fuck is going on here? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, A few other things about the gameplay. I hated lockpicking in this. Yeah. I was just so bad at it, and maybe that's a flaw of mine, but I... I found lockpicks really were hard to come by, especially before you discovered the Thieves' Guild, or yeah. you weren't in the Thieves' Guild. And then once you were out of lockpicks, I felt like you were missing out on shit constantly when you didn't have them. Yeah, lockpicks are definitely hard to come by, and as well, because I got really good at the lockpicking thing, just do doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is weird is because then it, it eventually it makes the lockpicking skill obsolete once you get good at it, because you can just, yeah, Completely. you can just pick locks. Well, and eventually, you, I, that might be what you get for when you beat the Thieves' Guild all the way through, is the unbreakable lockpick. Yeah, yeah. Because then at that point, it's like, it doesn't matter. You can just literally jam the button until it opens. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there's a lot of skills like that, though, as you say, that just become kind of obsolete. Like, 
I've never needed to use acrobatics. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, all right, you can jump high, but that's about it. You know, like maybe you stop taking fall damage. Yeah, there's a lot of skills like that. I mean, the speech skill is is weird because it's super important, but also kind of not. Do you like the persuasion sort of mini game? <sighs> I did when I when I first played it, <laughs> but I don't anymore. Really, I sort of I I was surprised that I did like it because I remember thinking it was annoying. And basically, it's like the there's four options. I forget what they are. Um, but there's four speech options and you can sort of view their face, the person's face and how they're going to react to it. And then there's a constant rotating, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's like a meter in it of how much you're going to put in, like how much you're going to stake into it. Mm -hmm. So essentially every time you click one, it rotates again and you want the highest meter in the one that makes him the happiest. You want the lowest one in the one that makes him the angriest. And then you can also always just bribe them if you want. But I, what I love about it is that, like, someone, when you meet them, will have, say, like, an average of 30 uh, towards you. Like, that's how much they like you. It's by a number in the middle. And they won't have anything to say to you, or they'll just, like, be curt and short with you. And then after you persuade that number to about 50 or whatever, or 60, then they'll be like, oh, hey, it's you. What's up, man? Good to see you. Yeah, yeah. And when it's people that you need to get information out of, a lot of the time they won't give you that info at, like, 45 persuasion but then you need to push it to over 60 and i think all that first of all it's logical it's like yeah you've built trust with this person and rapport and secondly it's like what a good way to like you know unlock other paths and quests and to, to be able to get oh shit yeah done. There's, there's so many quests that you can kind of circumvent if you've got good speech which i find really interesting and as well man if we're going to talk about the speech system like Man, one thing I will give Oblivion, some of one of the most quotable games in history. <laughs> There's some fucking hilarious stuff that they come out with that isn't even meant to be funny, I don't think. But like just the level of gusto that's given to it and the amount of times you hear things. And you know, there is a lot of unique dialogue. Um but if just the fact that, you know, the moment that you say you hear "stop right there, criminal scum," you you just you can't help but giggle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what did you think about like the bounty system and how, like, if you do a minor crime or whatever, there'll be a bounty on your head, and you can either pay it then and there or go directly to jail. What, do you like that? Um, I like it, but I just this one thing I liked about how they did it with Skyrim is that you have like bounty in holds rather than just like a bounty for the entire map. Because like I I always it it does kind of I like the system, and I like the fact that you can like try and escape from jail and stuff, and like trying to get like your stolen goods back and stuff like that. But like the fact that you'll just have picked up a fork in a town, and then you go <laughs> to like another town, and they're just like, "We know what you did," and you're just like, "How?" Like if you're not just yeah. But, and also, who gives a shit? Yeah, and to be fair, it's nice when, when you can pay people off when you're in the Thieves Guild and stuff. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You also have a fence where you can stole, sell stolen goods too, because most merchants won't take it. Yeah, and I like all that, but it's the fact that, to be fair, I think the guards kind of are the best and worst thing about Oblivion. Because they're so ineffectual and shite, and will always do insane stuff when they're chasing you down. But at the same yeah. time, you're never quite out of fearing them. You always fear them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they provide they provide much, some much needed uh, needed order and structure. Yeah. I think. But but the shit they come out with though, man. Like I thought, mud crabs more fearsome than you, and like <laughs> and that weird that you like <laughs> just like that. Like the the voice acting is fucking awesome. The voice yeah. actor for it recently got TikTok and has just been doing like all the iconic lines from it. So I've been watching his shit. Like, it's great. Oh, hey, let's uh, just jump right into it. Because the only other thing I was going to talk about in gameplay was uh, the economy, sort of. Yeah. I think it works really well early. Yeah. When, like, money... It's like you said, you feel poor. You feel like it's hard to come by. The purchases you make matter. Uh, Eventually, once you're late game and everyone's leveled up to such a degree... Because the thing about level scaling is they... It's not even the, the level of the enemies. It's their gear, too. So, like, eventually every bandit you encounter is going to have, like, glass armor and fucking, like, the legendary armor. And you can just go roll a bandit camp, take all their gear and sell it, and you'll be set for life financially. Well, that's what's strange is that 
Yeah, because I sort of look around like late game and you see bandits that, as you say, in like full ebony armor, and you're just like, dude, just sell this and you don't have to kill people. You don't have to be a bandit. <laughs> You've already won. You've won. Isn't that like the point of being a bandit? Yeah, fucking bear Bezos bandits running around. Like, how much do you need? Like, <laughs> it's fine. And as well, what's funny is the way that you can just break the economy by. Because, I mean, you know, you can do like the item duplication trick. Mm-hmm. You could just break the economy with that early game if you want. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend it. But um, I never fi- figured out how to do that. I just saw videos and memes and everything. It's, I think it's like you've got to equip an arrow and then unequip it and then drop the things and something like that. And mm-hmm. But yeah, the economy's weird because then also I do like that it sort of scales up with you. So like, you know, merchants will start selling stuff for like 20 grand. But especially when you're like early level and you see these things in the shop and you're like, oh man, maybe one day I'll have 20,000 gold to, to buy that. But by the time you get to that point, you've already found shit that's a lot better than the stuff that they're selling. Yeah, that's true too. I didn't think of that. So like, what's the point? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. One other uh, point of contention with a lot of people in the gameplay, and then I will move on, yeah. but uh, the fast travel. Yeah. Now... It's tough because this fast travel is super convenient. If you if it didn't exist, this it would ruin the game. I think. Yeah. Like eventually, like you've exploring does get a bit tedious when you just want to do your quests or whatever. Um, at the same time, having the ability to fast travel to areas you've never been, I really don't like at all. Yeah. Um, like there's a lot of cities where it's like walking into it is the coolest part, and you're getting to see it from the outside than coming in. Yeah. But it's like you could just miss that if you just fucking fast travel inside. I don't know. There, I I think it like had to be done, but could have been done better ultimately. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely could have been done better. And because as well, you often find that after after game, sort of in the mid game, becomes just fast traveling between different locations to just talk to people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, go here. Then you go there. It's like, all right, fast travel back. Now, now go to this. Now go to this city and talk to this person. Go over there. And yeah, it does get kind of weirdly tedious, even though it's it, it's 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 for convenience. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and it also throws off the whole like sort of time. It it just takes me out immersion wise. Yeah, like you don't you don't feel the distance or time traveled whatsoever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which when you actually walk there place to place, it feels like an undertaking to watch walk from one city to the other. Yeah, exactly. And you're gonna see shit on the way, like <laughs> every time. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the graphics and the sound. You were just bringing up the voice acting. I had no idea, like, Patrick Stewart was in this, Sean Bean, Sean Bean. was in this, like, yeah. like a bunch of big names. Yeah, and they killed it, man. And it was funny is that all the big names, apart from Sean Bean, just in it for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just... Like, the Emperor is just, Patrick Stewart's the Emperor, and he's out after the tutorial. Oh, he's in and out, yeah. Like, payday for Patrick Stewart. But, um... It does. It did make me laugh as well that like they've got like one guy voice acting like fifty characters. I know, dude. They could have just skipped the Patrick Stewart and maybe hire twenty people with that budget. Yeah, but but in the in the weird kind of way though, it also like it's kind of endearing. Do you know what I mean? Mm, because then it's when South you, Park syndrome. Yeah, because then when you do hear someone who's got a different voice, you're like, oh, this person must be important. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, it's a weird way to go through the game, but I do know what you mean. Yeah, and like, I kind of like that, you know, different races have slightly different voices and stuff like that. But like, yeah, I just, the sound in general is great. You know, I mean, like the, everything, it makes everything feel like it's got weight. But as you say, just because like this, there were so many characters to do dialogue for, is that everyone's dialogue is quite stunted. And so like, it doesn't matter if they're like a, an imperial guard or like some bandit that you've met on the street or like some assassin going to kill you. Everyone's got the same dialogue. Yeah, in, in fighting. Completely. Yeah, and like you, if you ask six different people for rumors, they'll all tell you the exact same rumor, shit like that. Again, it's a bit immersion breaking, but it also like this was such a huge undertaking to give everyone a voice. It sort of goes back to that thing we said earlier. We're like, I'm just happy they took the shot, and obviously. It's not even like they had a mold to follow. Like, they were creating the mold with this, so... And, and uh, that the great part of them all having, like, their daily schedule and shit that you brought up earlier is another, like, cherry on top of all that. Um, but yeah, I had that written down, too. Just that, like, a lot of them sounded the same. 
As far as the graphics, man, like, yeah, they the faces look fucked up on everyone now. But I think the open world looks great. I think a lot of these buildings hold up. I, I don't think any of that is, like, it's obviously we've seen better since, but I, I think it's pretty fucking good. Well, and also, like, the way that they constructed levels. Because even, like, when you've got a dungeon crawling, there's not two dungeons that look the same. Mm-hmm. Like, when you wander into a cave, you don't know what's coming. Whereas, like, with Skyrim, it's just like, oh, look, another Nod Ruin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then I bet it's going to loop you right out the back once you're done, like, with a button on the wall. Yeah, whereas, like, with with Oblivion, like, so many of the locations felt so distinct. And I loved that. The fact that, you know, there was old and like the old like elven ruins and stuff that no one knows where the elves went and things like that. And yeah, the actual world is stunning. But yes, like the some of the faces are nightmare fuel. (laughs) And especially when they glitch out and someone's mouth is like the other side of the city and their face is still in front of you and like shit like that. I love shit like that. Oh, me too. Uh, A lot of this, I I feel like it had to be Lord of the Rings inspired. I don't think I'm shocking anyone by saying that, especially given the time it was released. But I thought they pulled it off. I thought it all looks great. And it didn't come off like a ripoff. It's not like they took like elves and orcs or and everything, you know. But yeah, moving on from that, none of the music in this game stood out to me particularly. I prefer I preferred it to the music in Skyrim. I think there was more breadth of music. You know, like when you're crafting or you're in a or in a pub, it changes and things like that. I really like the way that it was. I think the composition is fantastic. Yeah, I that wasn't a knock or anything. It's just like I couldn't tell you. Like usually in this podcast, I'll edit a song in the middle, and I don't know what I'm going to pick because there's nothing really that like stands out particularly uh it just all accompanies the game really well which is you know fine yeah exactly exactly i mean yeah i think that's what i'll say is like i wouldn't sit down and be like one of the best soundtracks of all time do you know what i mean like it Mm -hmm. just kind of it was good yeah it's not trying to be you know yeah all right i think that brings us to this final factor the legacy factor uh of this game Do, do you find oblivion holds up to its predecessors do you think it's the best of the elder scrolls i mean i've played a little bit of morrowind and it's on my to-do list i really want to play Morrowind. yeah and it was and it's pretty great but it's very janky and even then it was considered a bit janky and then skyrim i found to be hugely disappointing uh, I agree. <laughs> I think, like, as well, Legacy Factor, not just within its series, but just standing on its own, the, what they achieved, what they, they shot for the, they shot for something that they couldn't achieve, but it didn't matter. And it still doesn't matter. Cause they created something that got so many people, I mean, me especially, interested in depth of character and narrative and, you know, what a game can do. Cause a lot of it was quite, you know, there were some serious philosophical questions being asked in some of them 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 quests. And I think that it still stands up. Like I, I I could challenge basically anyone who was, you know, even someone who was only born in like the year two thousand to sit down and play that game and I guarantee that they'd be like, Yeah, this is cool. Yeah, man, you know a thought I had was like I feel like Bethesda never wants to release the same game twice, and that's for better yeah. for better or worse a lot of the time. Uh I think yeah. like New Vegas was a big step. Actually, I don't know. I think it's not a big step up from Fallout 3, but like they're, they're so different that I can appreciate them for totally different reasons. Um, but I feel like you had so many good building blocks in Oblivion. Like, I don't know why you couldn't do like the 20 year anniversary or in a few years and like just fix all the flaws that we've said throughout this thing. Like, at, you could add, you could add so much to this and just polish it and shine it up and use the new technology you have and just re-release this thing. And it would stand alone as a fucking fantastic game. I mean, it already does with the flaws. Yeah, for sure. But I think the beauty of Bethesda, though, is that they they release the game files to the community. So it's just moddable. Right. Like, and loads of people have modded in. Like I've seen modded Oblivions that look absolutely stunning. And I think that that's a large part of why I'll always come into bat for Bethesda. Because they let the community make the stories that they left out. Mm. And they don't get precious about it. It's just kind of like, yep, go nuts, guys. And with Oblivion, you know, at some point I do want to sit down and play a fully modded Oblivion because they've got it now where they're sort of running it on the Skyrim Skyrim engine graphically. Mm -hmm. And it just looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah, man. I find Bethesda does catch a lot of shit. And 
I've rightfully so in some cases, these are flawed games, but they're also the best version of this kind of game. Like, yeah, super if, ambitious. If you didn't have the Bethesda game, what would you have? I mean, like, Deus Ex is great. It doesn't hit these levels. Like, there's a ton of Dragon Age fucking shit the bed. Mass Effect fell off. Like, there's not a ton of comparably awesome, especially open world. None of those were even open world. Like, this this is really, like, the top of the class, especially in 2006. So I, I also don't really get on board with the Bethesda bashing. Well, yeah, and also, like, one thing I do like about it is that there's still replayability in that they were they put so much into it mm-hmm. and little Easter eggs and the lore as well, like the amount of effort that has gone into the lore of this game to make it feel like a living breathing. Because if you want, you can sit there and read in game like 16 history books about the history of the place <laughs> and, you know what I mean, and find out what's been going on. Yeah, completely. And, and they know next to no one is ever going to do that. But for the people that do, it just enriches the experience. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, man. And I have to tell you, I was almost like nervous about doing this one because I we'd probably been talking about this for over like a month now. Yeah. And it's because there's so much packed into this. I know we can never take a fully comprehensive version of it. Like I haven't even gotten into the, the DLC and I'm not going to on this because yeah. I haven't played it personally. And it's just, there's so much to go into. I, I just want to give our sort of overlook on what this game is and how it affected us. But I, I'm, I'm well aware it's like an impossible thing to encapsulate. Yeah. Um, but that's why I messaged you. I'm like, let's just do this, man. Let's talk to this game. Because I've been thinking Oblivion for a while. And <laughs> I'm glad we finally yeah. got this done. For sure, man. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much it. Unless you had any final thoughts on it. No, none at all. I think we basically covered everything. Uh, all I'd say is that don't be put off by the fact that it's a game with 2006 graphics. Just play it and experience the narrative, and I guarantee you'll have a good time. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything you wanted to plug for the people listening? So I was going to try and attempt to remain anonymous for my solo project, but there doesn't seem much point now. So oh, get it out there. Yeah, if you go on um, Instagram and it's desridden. Uh, that's D-E-S-K-R-I-D-D-E-N and an underscore. Um, I'm putting a lot of stuff on SoundCloud now, and most of it is just mixes that I want people's opinions on. But see what you reckon. You might dig it. Um, the band Rivet City, we're on Spotify, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Is that a shout out to Fallout 3? Uh, it is actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Uh, and also, I do stand-up, etc. I'm trying to get together an actual set so I can start uploading videos a bit more. But you can find me on Instagram at Uncle Breeze. Perfect, man. Well, thanks again for doing this. It was great to have you on. Uh, as for myself, Jordan Ducharme, at Funny Jordan D on everywhere you got social media. Also follow the GOYL pod, podcast at uh, Twitter. I'm trying to grow that thing a bit. And yeah, thanks for listening. If you enjoy this show, tell a friend about it. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week.